Coming up... Her release has been strongly opposed by the families of the victims, as well as prosecutors and many others. For Vault Studios, I'm Will Johnson. And I'm Reed Redmond. You're listening to The Daily Crime. In California, a decision has been handed down on a bid for parole by Charles Manson follower Leslie Van Houten. She insists she's a changed woman. While in prison, she completed college degrees and has been commended for her behavior as a model prisoner. Relatives of Manson's victims, however, say none of that matters. My goodness, I can't, I can't tell you what an injustice this is. And later on, veteran investigative journalist Brian Ross joins us to discuss his new podcast, Killer Cases. Uh, the mother is shot dead. Uh, the son is accused by the father of doing it. Both sides have their own stories, and it's very hard to sort out who to believe. Reed, first up, there's been some news in the case of one of Charles Manson's followers, Leslie Van Houten. Let's start with the background. How was she involved in the Manson murders? To start with, this is obviously a high-profile case. Even calling it a high-profile case feels like an understatement. I remember reading the book Helter Skelter by Vincent Bugliosi a while ago, and it was actually one of the first true crime books I remember reading and really not being able to put down. It's just such a fascinating account of these horrible crimes and then the gripping trials that followed. And if you'll remember, Manson and his followers committed a series of murders But there were primarily two attacks. The first was when they killed a young actress named Sharon Tate, who was pregnant at the time, as well as four others that were in her home. And then the following night, Manson and members of his cult went to another home where they killed a couple named Leno and Rosemary LaBianca. Now, Leslie Van Houten was not there the first night at the Tate residence, but she was there on the second night during the LaBianca murders. I wanted to get out of there as quickly how as she, possible. How was she killed eventually? She was stabbed. In an interview with CNN back in 1994, Van Houten describes the night she and fellow Charles Manson followers murdered Lino LaBianca and his wife Rosemary back in 1969. She struggled, and Pat went to stab her, and the knife bent. And she was yelling out for her husband. She was ultimately convicted of those murders and received a death sentence, but that was later commuted to a sentence of life in prison. Meaning she would have the possibility of being granted parole someday. Right. And in fact, between 2016 and 2020, parole boards recommended she be released four different times, according to the Associated Press. Reaction continues to pour in after a state board recommended... They reported that all four times parole was blocked by the governor of California, The first two times it would have been Jerry Brown when he was the governor, and then the second two, Gavin Newsom, who's the current governor. And Newsom's argued that Van Houten would pose an unreasonable danger to society if she were to be released. Her attorneys have long argued she was only 19 when she took part in the murders of Lino and Rosemary LaBianca. Since that time, she has been a model prisoner. She's never, ever been disciplined while behind bars. Van Houten has even earned college degrees while incarcerated. The board also thinks she's served enough time, more than 40 years in prison, but keep this in mind, her release has been strongly opposed by the families of the victims, as well as prosecutors and many others. And after the last of those four recommendations was rejected in 2020, an attorney for Van Houten, Rich Pfeiffer, told the Associated Press that they were going to appeal the decision saying, quote, This reversal will demonstrate to the courts that there is no way Newsom will let her out. So they, they being the courts, have to enforce the law or it will never be enforced. And that brings us to the news this week, Reed. What happened? So between 2020 and now, Van Houten did file that petition 
for a review of the parole decision, according to the AP, challenging what the petition termed a denial of due process by the governor in reversing the parole board's recommendation. The petition also said Governor Newsom didn't properly document when the case was referred to him, which it argued made it unclear whether he could have exceeded the time limit for reviewing the case, which was apparently 30 days. Then in December, a court denied the petition, meaning the governor's decision would stand. Ben Houghton appealed the lower court's decision, which brought us to earlier this week when the California Supreme Court said on Wednesday it was not going to review the lower court's decision. So Ben Houghton, now 72 years old, is set to stay behind bars for now. For now, but it sounds like she could be recommended for parole again in the future. Yeah, and actually not only in the future, she was actually recommended for parole a fifth time while this court process was playing out. That most recent recommendation came last fall in November of 2021, and according to the Associated Press, it remains under procedural review. However, the governor of California hasn't changed. It's still Gavin Newsom, and his term doesn't end until 2023. So I would guess that this time around, we shouldn't necessarily expect a different result. All right, Reed, thanks a lot. And we'll be right back with investigative journalist Brian Ross. Joining us is Brian Ross, a veteran investigative journalist and host of a new podcast from Vault Studios and the Law and Crime Network, Killer Cases. Brian, thanks for being here. Nice to be here. Now, some of our listeners might be familiar with Killer Cases, the TV show, but tell us about Killer Cases, the podcast. Killer Cases, the podcast is a great audio telling of uh, these fascinating stories of one particular uh, murder and how it was solved and how it went to trial and what happened uh, uh, through the trial and up to the verdict. Brian, we'll get more into specific cases that you cover on Killer Cases and the podcast, but wanted to ask you, because you're a, a well-known name for a lot of people, you've been in the news business for a long time, you covered politics, you've probably covered a little bit of everything, but were criminal investigations something that have always been of interest to you? That was always my focus from the early days where I started reporting in Waterloo, Iowa, through local reporting in Miami and Cleveland, and then with the network, 20-plus years at NBC and 20-plus years at ABC, focusing on uh, the mafia and on corrupt uh, judges and on the cartels from Colombia and Russian espionage, a full range, but always with a focus on uh, the criminal implications. Brian, let me ask you, just to follow up on that, what are the aspects of police investigations that interest you the most? These days we've got genealogy and so much going on with DNA, but but what interests you the most? What I'm most interested in is the interplay between the detectives who are investigating and the suspects and the dynamic that takes place in the interrogation room, uh, how the detectives gather information, how they try to corner their suspect, and then what happens once they turn over their information to prosecutors. The same sort of dramatic uh, interplay takes place in the courtroom. Will and I have been working on these episodes with you, and each one presents just a different fascinating case of all of the cases and trials out there that you could have chosen to dig into, why these 10? What stood out about these stories? Well, they're all, to me, really, really, you know, telling stories, uh, you know, of betrayal and greed and rage and jealousy. Those seem to be the themes throughout these cases. You know, I think a lot of our listeners are going to appreciate that each episode features interviews with people who are close to the case. That could be detectives, investigators, reporters, family members of the victims. For you, why is it so important to hear from so many voices on each episode? So there's so many aspects to each story, the the victims and the family and the detectives 
And then the person who's an accused, he has his rights too to try to defend uh, against the charges. And then what happens in the courtroom? The role of the judges and the jurors. You know, each person plays a role in this uh, human drama that unfolds, uh, beginning with the, the victims and their families and the people who saw it and then the people who investigated. You've been doing this a long time, a lot longer than I have, but even still, I imagine that some of the the interviews you do for a podcast like this have to be pretty difficult, in particular the, the interviews with family members of victims. It can be so very emotional. And for me, it's one of, say, thousands of stories I've done over the years. But for each one of them, it's the most important story of their life. And you have to respect that and understand that in dealing with them and understand the emotions that they bring and the courage sometimes they show to come forward and talk about what happened. Brian, in some of these interviews, and in the second episode of the season, The Farmer's Wife, we hear directly from a father who accuses his son of murder and from the son who says he's innocent. Listening to the episode, you know, you want to believe both of them, but of course, both can't be right. How do you navigate that as as a reporter? That was one of the more difficult cases because both sides, uh, a father and a son, uh, insisted they were right. And the verdicts in the civil case and the verdicts in the criminal case were diametrically opposed. And even at the end of reporting all of that, it's not clear what really happened, who to believe. The first two episodes of Killer Cases are available now, but there will be a total of 10 episodes in this first season. Some are cases our listeners might have heard of but might not know the full story. Others, I'm sure, are going to be completely new. The one that Will just asked about, The Farmer's Wife, is one of the two that's available now. And I have to say, it's one of those stories that really keeps you guessing and trying to figure out you know, what's really going on. It was a fascinating look at what happened to this one family in Iowa. Uh, the mother is shot dead. Uh, the son is accused by the father of doing it. Uh, both sides claim they are rivals in this. Bo- both sides have their own stories, and it's very hard to sort out who to believe. And in fact, the jury in the civil case reached a different verdict than the jury in the criminal case. Brian Ross, host of Killer Cases, new podcast from Vault Studios. Thanks so much for coming on. We appreciate it. It's great to be here. Be sure to check out Killer Cases, the new podcast from Vault Studios, wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks for listening to The Daily Crime. One more programming note, if you haven't already, check out our weekly show, True Crime Chronicles, also available wherever you listen to podcasts. For The Daily Crime, I'm Will Johnson, along with Reed Redmond.